Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store, and you know what time of year it is. It's back-to-school time, and time once again for all of those after-school activities. Whether it's ballet or football, drama or field hockey, band or basketball, kids' feet need to feel good. Those cleats, sneakers, or shoes for a band often don't do those young feet any favors. If our kids are going to stay active and healthy, then they need good feet. That means it's also time to take your kids to the Good Feet Store. Yeah, that's right, the young ones, the kids. Bring them into the Good Feet Store and let's treat them to some personal service. Our team members will measure their feet and find the right art support for them. They can still wear the shoes they want, but they will have the support to make them comfortable now and keep their feet healthy for the future. It won't take long and it could change their life. Go to goodfeet.com to make an appointment or just stop by the location nearest you, the Good Feet Store. He played over 1,100 games in the National Hockey League. In his second professional season, he was made captain of the Washington Capitals. He broke his ankle in 1986, missing the balance of the regular season, yet returned in the playoffs to anchor the Montreal Canadiens to their 23rd Stanley Cup. Ryan Walter's hockey resume is long and storied. He was drafted second overall in the 1978 NHL entry draft by Washington, played out the bulk of his career in Montreal, then retired in Vancouver. An all-star, man of the year, Players Association president, Walter also spent time playing and coaching with Hockey Canada. Today, he's a leadership development coach alongside with his wife, Jenny. Thank you for being here, Ryan. It's been a while. (laughs) Thanks, Debbie. So do you even remember what your first shift was like? I don't know if I remember what my first shift was like, but I do remember um, the first game in Chicago. And my last shift, uh, our coach down Belial, the game was tied 2-2, and he he actually put me out on the ice to take a face-off in our zone against Stan Makita. So that's how old I am. And so I do remember that, Debbie. And do you remember what you spent your first paycheck on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a a back in the day. uh, I mean, I was a high draft pick. We were supposed to get a lot of money, right? Uh, For our signing bonus that year, I received $25,000. And I bought a beautiful aluminum canoe. (laughs) <laughs> so yes i do that's awesome and and we do know that some make it some don't um why do you think you made it to the nhl well i heard jimmy pattison once say the great uh, business uh, icon uh that uh, he told a friend of mine that you know his success was all all about his parents is that his parents developed him he actually stayed home until he was 25 years old and and his parents were I believe missionaries down on you know East Hastings Street and uh and and that's how he learned all of his stuff I would give my mom and dad the credit too I mean they they built a little self-image that you know was not a cocky little self-image I don't think but it was much more about, you know, confident. I mean, if that guy can play in the NHL, I can play in the NHL. And I just enjoyed the process. So I give them the credit. And back then, uh, it's a lot, the game is a lot different now. Back then, um, 
sometimes you came to camp to get into shape. <laughs> yeah, true. It, it a very much a different game. I mean, the players, the athletes today are brilliant. Um, I give them all the credit. They're they're amazing. They uh, you know they're stronger, faster, better than we were. Uh, I don't anybody that says oh the good old days. I mean there there's parts of the game that we loved as you know uh, in the old days. But I think the game is amazing right now. And when you broke your ankle in 1986 and missed that rest of that season. A lot of pressure on you to go back into the playoffs. And how did you have the confidence in your ankle to actually finish games? <laughs> well, I was, uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It was a, a fun story in my life. I mean, um, you know, late in the season, I broke my ankle. So uh, I'm thinking, you know, the, the, my team's going to, you know, have a chance at a Stanley Cup final and I'm going to miss my turn. Uh, so the first, you know, 10 or 15 uh, day, you know, days after breaking the ankle, I had a pretty good pity party and I was upset, angry. And then something sort of snapped in me and I said, okay, Ryan, get back to work. And in my story that nobody knows, Debbie, is that, you know, every game, every practice that my team played, actually every minute that they were on the ice, I worked out in the dressing room. So I had a, a, you know, cast on my ankle, couldn't, you know, couldn't ride a bike. So I turned a bike upside down and I, I rode with my arms and, and stayed in shape that way, lifted a ton of weights, push-ups, sit-ups. So I was in great shape in May. Uh, Eric Lensner, our, the orth, orthopedic surgeon for the team said, Ryan, I know it's not healed, but you know, do you want to get an x-ray just to see? And he looked at it and there was a little line in it, not a bad line, but a little line. He said, it's, you know, it's not quite ready. And uh, I got, I've got tears in my eyes because that's my, ch my chance to play is going down the, the, uh, the drain here. And I don't know why Eric did it. He's a wonderful man. He said, Ryan, you know, do you want to try it? I mean, what's the worst, that, you know, we're just going to injure it again. You got all summer to, you know, to, to heal it. And uh, he let me try. And the first couple practices weren't great. And then they got better. And, you know, a little bit of freezing, a little bit of tape. I mean, I had a chance to play in the Stanley Cup final. So I'm very thankful, uh, not only for the opportunity, but I'm thankful for Eric Lensner, uh, the doctor that gave me the, the opportunity. And I imagine a lot of adrenaline uh, kind of kept your body going, too, because, I mean, <laughs> really. <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, well, you're in a Stanley Cup final. It was the first of my career. And uh, yeah, yeah, you don't think about pain. You, you think about, you know, hold, uh, hoisting the cup. And back then, the, <clears throat> the journey to it, you didn't have, I don't think you had as many games to play and certainly not as many playoff series to go through. Uh, today, it's quite the marathon. It's like playing a whole new different season to get to that final. Yeah, we had a, a best of five uh, in the first round. And then it was the same as today for the second, third, and fourth round, a best of seven. Uh, so so a couple less games, but uh, I didn't, none of us liked that best of five. You could lose in the first round really quick. And uh, it seemed like we always beat Boston in the, in the first round. <laughs> yeah, rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> didn't mean to say that. Um, so 
as you near the end of your your uh, career in, in hockey, did you even have a retirement plan as a player? I know a lot of players, they don't even want to think about retirement. They don't want to think about what they're going to do until that moment happens. Uh, what about yourself? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, you know, I was... I was, uh, you know, well positioned. I took all the courses. I read all the books. None of us are ready to retire. I remember Pat Quinn in in, in Vancouver. You know, I'd only played uh, twenty three games that fa- that final year. Um, you know, so I was a healthy scratch a lot. But you know, I was a veteran player trying to keep the team moving. And I remember saying to Pat, "So another season with the Can- the Canucks?" And he said, "Nope, not with this team." Right, and that pushes you into retirement. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that you this this is a this is more than a, a career. This is a game that you've played all your lives. And I always say to people, you know, at one point, uh, everybody leaves hockey. So some, you know, have a cardiac arrest at you know eighty and they stop playing. Most of us, you know, some some get out of the game at fifteen. Others it was for me sort of in the, in the mid thirties. And I didn't play a lot of hockey after that. You know, I played some pickup for maybe charities, but uh, I always felt that once that was done that, you know, I'd played at the highest level and, and that's done now. That reminds me too, because um, you played for a couple of teams. What is that moment like when you are traded? I know some of the players today, they don't even find out from the team. They find out from either the media reporter or from their agent or some anybody but the team. But mm-hmm. when you were traded, what was that moment like? And you don't have much time to get to your location. No, David Poyle called me in Washington. He was a new GM. He called me at 7 a.m. and said, good morning, Ryan. I've traded you. And that's it. And then away you go. So yeah, it, it is a really, uh, Jenny and I were married in, in June, uh, traded in September. And so that was a, a very uh, difficult time for both of us just to process that, you know, it was, I felt bad for Jen because, you know, she didn't, this is her first experience in the NHL. And, uh, and uh, obviously we went on to have great years, but uh, not easy at the time. Thank God you had her though, because oh yeah, she had to do all the cleanup and move the house and move all the belongings while you played. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and Jenny did a great job, and and uh, she tells uh, a great story. She should she should be the one that uh, gets the interview um, <laughs> about the you know the wives in Montreal or in uh, Washington saying, "Oh, you poor thing, you got traded. You have to go to those cold winters." And Deanne Pronovo, who is just a wonderful friend of ours, Deanne and Jean, and uh, she said to Jenny, no, 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 no. You're going to have so much fun in Montreal. It's a great city. And your husband's going to have to buy you a fur coat. (laughs) And she was fine. That's hilarious. So how was the transition when you became a coach? What kind of perspective did being a former player give you as a coach? Yeah, very much. Gives you great perspective. I think the biggest advantage uh, from going to from a player to a coach is you you pretty much understand the culture. You understand, you know, the inside out, the inside of that dressing room. And uh, and then, you know, obviously 
you know, who's in, who's out. I mean, you understand the press, you understand the interview cycles and all of that. So it's, it's a big advantage on the other side. Um, coaching uh, is not hard work. Coaching is long work. And a lot of players are not ready to put in that type of effort um, because coaching is all about video right now. You know, it's, it's, it's about, getting your players on the same page. It's about making them better. And you do that through practice and games. Yeah, that's that's the normal way. But now there's this video component and uh, it's it's a powerful opportunity, but it takes a lot of time. And imagine when you went into broadcasting, uh, it's a different process altogether. I was so fortunate to learn how to uh, be a color man from Jim Robson, who was a great, amazing play-by-play uh, -play, uh, radio and TV guy in Vancouver. So he, he really helped me, uh, you know, get into the business. And then <clears throat> Jim Houston, I did lots of work with Jim and he's just retired. Um, but yeah, no, that was, I, I really enjoyed um, broadcasting Debbie, but you know, the one thing that I missed in is, is there's no compete. You know, as a broadcaster, there was no win, there was no loss. It was just, I did the job and I highlighted the important parts of the game. And so I, I really enjoyed getting back into business and back into hockey where, uh, you know, in the job we do now where it's, there's much more of a on the, you know, you're, you, every day you're on the line, every day you're on the ice, every day there's a, a chance to compete. That's a great perspective. I never thought of it that way. Um, you were in two movies. What the heck was that like? <laughs> well, the, the movie Miracle was really fun. And, uh, you know, Disney called me and, and Mike Johnson, my good friend, uh, he was the one really that got me the job with um, Disney. They, they asked Mike, uh, you know, who's the hockey expert up in Vancouver? And so that was really fun. We helped put the hockey together. We're very proud of the hockey in that movie. And then, uh, you know, the Gavin O'Connor, the young director, made me the <clears throat> the referee between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. And, yeah, it was a great experience. And when did you decide to make leadership coaching your profession? <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful question. I, I don't know. It, it, life is a lot about um, <clears throat> by accident on purpose. And so, uh, you know, I always got pushed up front as a, an assistant player, an assistant captain or, or a captain. And, you know, I had to speak to people. So speak to crowds, you know, speak to whatever. So I got comfortable in front of people. And I think that was very helpful because, at the end of the day, you know, you, you've got to, that's a good skill to learn. And then, of course, I got pushed into leadership, right? Like, so in my second season, I was named captain of the Capitals, an assistant captain in Montreal and in, in Vancouver. So I got pushed into that leadership position. And, you know, I was really fortunate at 40, mid-40s to go back and, and do a master's degree in leadership business at Trinity Western University, which was a great school for me at the time. And the reason I mention that is, is I've been passionate about trying to understand, you know, really three areas of our life. Number one is leadership. And that's the foundation of everything. 
And number two would be high performance. Why do some people perform at least at their highest per, you know, level? Like I'm not comparing Wayne Gretzky with Ryan Walter. I can never be Wayne and he's not going to be me. But how do I be my best and how is Wayne his best? And then the other area is team. And so that's, you know, those three come together in what, you know, sort of corporate America calls culture. Uh, so, do, you know, actually, so does, uh, you know, the world of sport. So those two things brought together our current, you know, we've been, uh, Jenny and I built a little company. Uh, we've been doing, you know, uh, leadership development for 25 years now. Um, you know, I went into coaching a little bit, came out, did, you know, leadership development. It's the, the, our company is called Heads Up Communication and, uh, and it's ryanwalter.com. But the reason I tell you that is, is that has been the consistent uh, passion that we have had over the last 25 years. And your experience with hockey, how did that sh help shape with what you're doing now? Well, it gives great metaphors, right? Um, <clears throat> I'll give you an example. I've, I've been thinking about uh, Patrick Waugh. So many, many, uh, uh, you know, hockey fans will, will know Patrick's name. And he was a great goalie with us in Colorado. <clears throat> Patrick did something that most people don't know, unless you watched practice consistently. Patrick did two things that, you know, from a leadership perspective and a performance perspective that most people don't. They don't know, but they understand. And so here's what Patrick did. When he got on the ice, he was the only goalie I've ever met that went right in the net. Most goalies, you know, for practice, they'll skate around, they'll warm up, they'll play with a puck, you know, they'll have fun. Patty went, you know, he knew his identity. He went right into the net. He was a goalie. And that's what he did. The other thing that Patrick did that, that nobody really is, you know, talked about, I don't think, is most goalies in practice, you know, pucks go in. They're not trying to save every puck. They're just trying to warm up. Uh, with Patrick, um, he would, if a puck went in the, past him, even in warm-up, you know, he'd turn around and get the puck out. And so what does that tell you about Patrick? He had a philosophy. And the philosophy was no pucks in the net. So, you know, you wonder why some... Uh, become the best of the best or the best they can be. You know, Patrick had an identity and a philosophy that allowed him to play at the highest level and then compete and win at the highest level. So I think what hockey allows me is I always think, Debbie, that, you know, if you think about professional sport and professional business, the connection, there's great connection in the principles of leadership and so we get a chance to highlight it, highlight it in sport and then live it in business. And what surprised you the most about this gig? Well, this is a good gig. I, I think it's the people. Um, Jennifer and I get a chance to meet incredible people. Um, you know, I've, I have, you know, been in front of over 3,000 CEOs with our, with our, uh, we have 10 new models that we've developed. So we actually build our own processes now. And, uh, and many of those CEOs obviously have brought us into their companies to work with their sales teams or their leadership teams or their management. 
So we, we've really enjoyed that process. We, I think what we love best now is going long with companies. You know, we've, we've had relationships with companies like, you know, Vetter uh, Transport, you know, which is in the lower mainland here for seven or eight years now. We've been on a retainer where, you know, we work with their people and, and, and help out their companies. So we love that process. I think we, we love the people. And I know it's different for everybody because you customize every everything you do. But what do you see as people's biggest inhibitor to growth? Oh, I, right away what comes to mind, <clears throat> excuse me, is probably, you know, the biggest inhibitor to a whole bunch of things. And, uh, and that is self-image. Right? It's... It, it, the, we call it the inner game. Obviously, that's a sports terminology, but I really believe that the inner game, you know, our, our, who we believe we are, our, you know, our philosophy, our identity, you know, our, uh, I love to talk about belief system. What, what do we choose to believe? And then we've built a, a really fun model now, Debbie, around the, the six mindsets that really run our high performance or run you know, the different uh, pieces of our life. So, so, uh, you know, right away, I would, I would probably lump those all together in what most people call self-image. Absolutely. I think you're right on that. It's, it's probably the biggest thing that stops people from moving forward or they don't, they don't think they can do it. Yeah. And, and I think most of us, when we think of self-image, we don't spend time going, Okay, so what's holding me back, right? And we don't go inside. And I think that one of the things, we've been doing a lot of executive coaching during COVID. And I think one of the things that I found as I've coached now, you know, multiple executives is is that coaching and coaches actually get a chance to probe a little bit into the self-image and into the belief system and the mindset of the executive or the manager or the high performer um, and so sometimes it's good to have an external person uh, help you go internal. Absolutely. I, I echo that. I hired two coaches this year. <laughs> nice. nice. Um, so you motivate and coach others to be their best selves. Who motivates you? Well, that's a great question. I'm, you know, Jenny is certainly, you know, my partner in this business and uh, will in April next year, we'll be married 40 years. And <clears throat> she knows me really well. She knows when I'm off and when I'm on and, and uh, we enjoy the process. I think the other thing that I love is, is I love learning. So as you know, so I'm a, I get, I get a lot of mentoring through books and through, you know, um, different videos that, that I love to watch. I love pursuing areas of neuroscience. And, and so I think last year I, I read, you know, I do audible, but probably read about 40 books. And so that's a big chunk of information that's coming my way. I have a coach um, and Bob Hancock is a wonderful coach. And, uh, and we don't meet as often as I want to uh, just because of both of our schedules, but uh, he's a brilliant guy. Uh, I think uh, I lost one of my my best, my big mentors uh, this summer, my dad passed. And uh, he was, yeah, he was, uh, you know, he was a guy that, that I leaned on and I still do. I mean, I, I, uh, I miss him. I, I just miss, you know, the friendship and the, 
and the fellowship that we we had together. So I think there's there's the more <clears throat> the more we go in this field, the more we grow in this field. I think that's the beauty of of the industry that we're in now is that people pay me to grow. I would do it anyway, but you know, I need to be on the cutting edge of of leadership development. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's a beautiful industry because every day I'm in a growth mode. Well, that's, that's pretty beautiful. And of course, every, I look at every, every person you meet teaches you something. I mean, you learn either a good lesson or, or what you don't want to be. <laughs> Agreed. So what projects do you have in the works that we can shit talk about and share. Yeah, I've got some great projects. We're writing our next book, which will be our sixth book. Uh, our last book was, is called Hungry. So how do you stay hungry? How do you keep people hungry? Um, and our next book will be called Breakout. And it's really about these six mindsets that, that I mentioned. You know, how they affect our resilience, our performance. And we'll see it really play out. We're excited about it because we'll introduce the six mindsets. Uh, the first chapter is on awareness so that, you know, we have to be a, personally aware before we can change. <clears throat> the second chapter will be on the six mindsets and how they affect who we are and what we do. The third chapter, uh, we'll talk about these six mindsets in the concept or the construct of language. So I'll call that performance language. What we say to ourselves and, and, and how we say it, right, reveals so much about high performance. Uh, the the next chapter, uh, the the fourth chapter will be on uh, team energy, fifth chapter on uh, leadership focus, and the sixth chapter we're going to pull it all together and we're going to call it uh, game resilience. So all of the stuff that we do in those first five chapters really pulls together in you know how resilient can we be in this next pandemic that's coming? Who knows when? Uh, in the next downturn in the economy, that's coming. We know that. If this one ever ends. Yes. <laughs> I'm in Alberta, remember? <laughs> I know. <clears throat> but it, it, the point is, we're always, we always want to generate increased resilience because mm -hmm. external circumstances are not going to stop coming our way. That's fantastic. Can't wait to read it. Um, I'm going to ask one last question. Um, I didn't have it on my list, but because you've been interviewed a gazillion times over the over the years, is there one question you have not been asked that you wish somebody would have asked you? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a good question. It's one of those questions where I'd have to think about it just a little bit. I mean, over the years, people have asked great questions. I'll, I'll give you one that I hadn't been asked for a while. And so it, this is not a brand new one. But somebody once asked me um, recently, when you won that Stanley Cup and you lifted it on the ice in Calgary, um, was, there, was there a feeling that you've done it before? Wow, that is a and good I question. Thought, Boy, that's a great question. And the answer obviously is yes. You know, I'm a kid from Burnaby, British Columbia. So we didn't have outdoor ice. We We had to... We played ball hockey, right, in the rain. and But, you know, you're playing ball hockey, you make a couple moves, you shoot at top corner, and your hands go up, and, you know, <laughs> it's like you, you're, it's a Stanley Cup winning goal, right? 
<clears throat> so yeah, I think I think that the 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 principle there for me is is that everything that we do externally, we do with our action, with our behavior, with our skill, is has already been done internally. Mm. And and that's the importance of being intentional. I think that's our key word with leadership today is, is, you know, so many people are reactional. They, you know, they just react to life. And Viktor Frankl, you know, is a great author, uh, talks about the space, right? The space between stimulus and response. And that that space is intentionality. And so when we're intentional with that inner game, right? We start to see it play out in, in the way that we treat life and we go way we go after life. So I thought that was a great question, but uh, I'll have to think about yours. <laughs> well, that was a good, that was a good answer. I like that. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much. It was wonderful to have you here. Thanks so much. Great questions you have. Oh, thank you. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store, and you know what time of year it is. It's back-to-school time, and time once again for all of those after-school activities. Whether it's ballet or football, drama or field hockey, band or basketball, kids' feet need to feel good. Those cleats, sneakers, or shoes for band often don't do those young feet any favors. If our kids are going to stay active and healthy, then they need good feet. That means it's also time to take your kids to the Good Feet Store. Yeah, that's right, the young ones, the kids. Bring them into the Good Feet store and let's treat them to some personal service. Our team members will measure their feet and find the right art support for them. They can still wear the shoes they want, but they will have the support to make them comfortable now and keep their feet healthy for the future. It won't take long and it could change their life. Go to goodfeet.com to make an appointment or just stop by the location nearest you, the Good Feet store.